Resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. We need to be prepared for the future. I'm just holding on for dear life here. This isn't fun. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? And make sure everyone's safety comes first. Save what for dream. You must ready. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. Eventually, I know it's going to hit. It's only a matter of time. Helping your community. Helping your family. Helping you. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Hi, I'm Fred Hooper, and this is Pacific Prepared. It's a show about natural disasters, how you prepare for them, and how people across the Pacific have survived them. Each week, we work with local reporters so they get it. They understand what everyone is going through during a natural disaster. Today, why some fruit and vegetable crops find it so difficult to recover after a natural disaster, as you might imagine, even though they look like they've come back strong. Also, making an impossible choice to stay or to go during a natural disaster. And why multiple genders play a part in disaster reduction planning in Samoa. That's all coming up. This is Pacific Prepared. The time to prepare is now, not right before an emergency. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. You are listening to Pacific Prepared. Gardens and farms provide so much to families and communities when they're in full swing. But if there's a disaster, like everything, they struggle to keep going. Like a cyclone, for example. Some plants might lose their leaves, their fruit, and branches might break, or they might get ripped out of the ground altogether. But then they're quite good at making a comeback. Plants can regrow, and it's all back to normal. Almost. If you zoom in on some of those plants... There's lots happening that we might not be able to see. Almost a tiny battle. A battle for the plant. It's between pests, diseases and parasitols. They're the things that attack the pests and keep them under control. So after a cyclone, it can really mess up this tiny order of things, which can mean more diseases for the plant and less food from that crop. It is complicated. Pacific Prepared reporter and freelance journalist Florence Fenua has this story. Farmers of vegetables and root crops may encounter additional difficulties in their gardens following a cyclone due to an increase in pests and illnesses that feed on plants and vegetable leaves. To get rid of these pests and diseases and lessen their harm to the gardens, the Biosecurity Department in Vanuatu encourages farmers to use organic pesticides. When we speak with two plant health officers from Biosecurity Vanuatu, they tell us about the fantastic work that has been done with local farmers since the cyclones in Vanuatu. Pests and illnesses can spread more readily after a cyclone, according to Patricia Alanson, a plant health officer with Biosecurity Vanuatu, because the cyclone also damages their food sources. After the two cyclones, we observed that all of the garden plants, especially those with leaves, had all of their foliage blown off by the storm. 
The pests and diseases in their own environments also require food to survive. But immediately following the cyclone, when plants and crops are left without leaves, you'll notice that many of these pests are abundant on a certain crop. For example, on a bean, you'll see plenty of small aphids or plenty of small mealbugs, which are common garden pests in Vanuatu. When a cyclone strikes, it damages all of our parasitoids and sources of food for our pests. So, when the plant leaves begin to grow back, you will see that the pests come back plenty because their enemy is no longer in the population to fend them off. However, after the cyclones, their numbers double because they also have natural enemies in the environment, which are other pests we refer to as parasitoids. C adds that these organic insecticides have undergone testing by specialists and have been found to be safe for use. So you make around 17 organic pesticides. The biosecurity department discourages the use of chemicals by our farmers, but we encourage them to use organic pesticides instead. People can use organic pesticides at home on their own. They are less expensive. You can use your own resources at home. They won't harm the environment. They won't take up too much time. And they won't cost you a lot of money. We have organizations in the Pacific region that are supporting us, particularly in Vanuatu. Scientists and researchers there have tested these organic pesticides and determined that they are effective. As a result, they have distributed them to other Pacific Island nations as well as Vanuatu, including Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, and the Solomon Islands. Their biosecurity departments are the ones providing the recommendations. We are developing and giving away approximately 17 organic pesticides to farmers if a farmer encounters a specific pest or disease in his garden. We can offer advice and provide the recipe for the appropriate organic pesticide, allowing the farmer to prepare it at home and put it to use. The different organic pesticides that we are dispensing are specifically for a particular pest or disease. For example, we have put out the chili pesticide, which directly targets ants, aphids, and mealybugs. If you don't know the insect or pest names, we can help you with the names and we provide you with the specific pesticide for it. The organic chili pesticide is only for the pests that we have listed out, such as aphids. There are other pests. 
These organic insecticides are affordable for farmers to buy, according to Sylvie Pulekoran, another plant health officer. They are also good for the environment. The ingredients of these organic pesticides are safe for the environment, readily available, and less expensive for farmers because they can find it in the areas nearby where they grow their crops. For instance, Chile, whose seeds were dispersed after the cyclone, are currently growing, and when harvest time comes, farmers can simply pick it up, prepare it, and use it in their gardens. Agriculture receives advice from biosecurity, thus they are the ones doing a lot of the job. Few of our local farmers came to us directly after the cyclones to ask for information, but many went to agriculture instead, which is good because agriculture has many extension offices who are close to farmers who are aware because they have frequently attended training on pests and diseases by biosecurity. Apart from us, the Agriculture Department is the primary source of information on pests and diseases, plants and crop growth, but we are collaborating with them and providing ongoing support to ensure that any information farmers need is accurate, especially during this cyclone season. According to Patricia Alanson, homestead farmers are urged to use organic insecticides. Agriculture is the one that encourages people to do small-scale backyard gardening if they live in a town. But if you notice that your crops are not growing well, if a pest is feeding on your crops, or if you notice holes in your leaves, you must seek our advice so that we can inspect your garden and give you advice based on what we observed there. It is best to bring a real sample of the affected crop to biosecurity rather than a photograph of it. And if there is an insect, place it inside a plastic tube and bring it to us so that we can identify it and give you direct advice on the steps you should take to deal with that particular targeted pest or disease. Farmers should constantly kill pests as soon as they notice them in their gardens, according to Sylvie. Direct infections for plants to transmit disease to humans is very low. We are advising people again when you are choosing crops in your garden to put in your cooking pot, you have to look and choose properly. If there is an infected crop, use the knife to remove the bad ones 
or boil it before cooking. That way, we are also reducing the high risk of getting infected. The statement reads, others, however, directly infect us through animals such as rats, snails, or lettuce, which can also infect you if you don't properly wash it. Cooking crops also lessens direct infections. Here at the team of Plant Health Unit, we know that if a farmer plants Chinese cabbage, we already know that it will attract caterpillars and diamond bug mold. And the advice that we always give out during our travel to farmers around the islands is that each individual farmer is responsible to check her garden every morning and afternoon and make sure to destroy any pest or insect you are unsure of as doing so early will reduce the population in your garden. If you start preparing the recipes for tobacco, popo, soursop and chili early, it will reduce the establishment of this particular pest in your garden because the cabbage in your garden is no longer tasty because you have been spraying a lot, so it keeps them away. So, if we can properly understand the behavior of these insects, we can also reduce its involvement in our backyard gardening. So, do so. Sylvie Pulekoran, Plant Health Officer at the Vanuatu Biosecurity Department. Pacific Prepared Reporter and Freelance Journalist, Florence Fanua with that story from Vanuatu. Disaster is part of our life, and recovering is also part of our life. As you see, they're smiling despite the devastation. That's how we are. You are listening to Pacific Prepare. During natural disasters, I'm sure there's lots of things running through your mind. Like, what's happening? Where should I be going right now? Are my family okay? The last one, probably the most important for most people... Where's my family, and are they okay? During the volcanic eruption and tsunami in Tonga in 2022, this also crossed the mind of one resident living with a disability. She had to make an almost impossible decision. Does she stay in her home and risk her survival, or does she go with the family, which could have cost them time? And time was something they didn't have a lot of. Anasiu Falakano from the Tonga Broadcasting Commission has this story. Some of the people living with disabilities in Tonga would rather choose to stay home during times of disaster to provide high chances of survival for their families and loved ones. A 49-year-old woman with disabilities from Bobua Kali Sifiao says her experience from last year from the Hunga Tonga Hunga Ha'apai volcanic eruption, she chose to let her family and her loved ones evacuate and for her to stay behind as there was not enough space for her, and additionally, she would need more time, but there was not enough time to evacuate. She adds, it is then she thought it was better for her to risk her life and remain behind, a decision that was strongly opposed by her family. Yet, she remained at home alone. (laughs) 
Last year, the volcanic eruption, an unforgettable day for everyone. It was a difficult day for my family also. I had an argument with my younger sister when we were told to evacuate to higher grounds. I was concerned about a few things. Where would we be going? It would be more difficult for my family to assist me during this time, and it will take longer for my family to help me to the vehicle. So I felt it was the right choice to ask them to leave me at home. I will be okay. I let them go so they can save their lives. I know my condition, so I preferred to be at home while everyone was leaving their homes, evacuating to higher grounds. Fi'al shared her story during the disaster preparedness program for people with disabilities in the village of Bobua. Bobua is located on the coastal areas of Tongatapu and was greatly impacted from the volcanic eruption last year and the tsunami. Another participant at the program at Lisieli Hufanga, a woman with disabilities, says there is hope that there are special areas for people with disabilities in the evacuation centres as they have special needs and require more assistance. There's another request for a vehicle for the people living with disabilities in times of natural disasters. Meanwhile, Licia Delivave from the Melinomoy Offa Women Development Group of Popua says the aim of the program is to collect information from the most vulnerable population in Tonga so they can find the best ways to address these issues, especially in times of natural disasters and emergency. A survey conducted following the devastation last year that 12 people with disabilities were at home alone during the evacuation. There's hope that with the information collected in collaboration with the Pacific community, the people living with disabilities are well taken care of in times of disasters. And I see you, Falakano, from the Tongan Broadcasting Commission with that story. My name's Fred Hooper, and you're listening to Pacific Prepared. People are just not ready to unplug from the matrix, you know, to comes into terms with the reality of their culture is that indigenous cultures have third, fourth, or even a fifth gender. We've always been there. Yuki Kahara is an artist, and she's also a fa'afafine from Samoa. So fa'afafine in the manner of a woman used to describe those like myself, assigned male at birth who express their gender in a, ma- uh, in a feminine way. And according to Yuki, this identification has a lot of flow-on effects, including around planning for disasters. Uh, my name is Yuki Kihara. I'm an interdisciplinary artist uh, of Samoan and Japanese descent, and I currently reside in the village of Mount Vaya uh, in the island of Upolu in the independent state of Samoa. Okay, so in Samoa, there are four culturally recognized genders. So there's Tane, which is a cisgender man, Fafine, which is a cisgender woman. Fafafine is made up of uh, two compound words. So fa meaning in the manner of and fafine meaning woman. So fafafine in the manner of a woman used to describe those like myself, assigned male at birth who express their gender in a, uh, in a feminine way. And we also have fatsama, uh, those assigned female at birth who express their gender in a, a masculine way. And then together we make up four of the genders in Samoa. However, Fa'afafine and Fa'atama, we are not legally recognized. And then so the reason why we're not legally recognized is because of the series of uh, colonialisms um, and uh, uh, religious enforcement that uh, puts uh, forward and prioritize uh, 
to, uh, you know, for colonized peoples, uh, to identify with, uh, Western binary divisions of man and woman. Mm. When we look at the, uh, policies and legislations around, um, climate change and disaster risk management, a lot of the times, uh, you know, these, um, policies and legislations are geared towards, um, uh, man, woman, binary decision, uh, divisions that, um, that doesn't actually recognize third and the fourth sexes, um, of, uh, Samoan culture. So, which becomes very problematic because being a Fafafine in Fatsama in Samoa is that you're already a minority, you're already a, a, a vulnerable, uh, community, um, and, you know, it just makes it even worse when it's actually compounded by, uh, re- uh, discrimination, um, as well as, uh, uh, climate change and, uh, disaster risk management. Can you give me an example of what those kind of things look like on the ground for you? You're talking about, um, policy decisions around climate change and natural disasters. Yeah. I mean, like, for example, um, uh, you know, when there are surveys, uh, and in stats, uh, you know, made about, uh, climate change and disaster risk management. Um, the people who are surveying, uh, are actually, uh, you know, surveying, you know, the categories of, um, categories of men and categories of women, um, which is very binary and is really problematic because us, the Fafafine and the Fatsama community, we do not belong to those binary categories that, that, uh, the experience of you know, my experience as a Fafafina is not an experience of a woman or it's not an experience of a man. It's a very particular experience to the Fafafina, uh, which is compounded by, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, transphobia, homophobia, Fafafobia, um, uh, you know, being in a developing country, um, uh, and, and uh, so on and so forth. Are there expectations around in Samoa, I think we, sh- we we talk specifically around Samoa. Other expectations around what a male's role is and what a female's role is during and after a disaster, and is that how then it affects somebody who's not included in that planning? The thing is, is that I kind of feel like these legislations often feel, um, you know, often you know describe the Fafafini and the Fatsama community as a burden, but in the matter of fact, you know, traditionally our roles as Fafafini and Fatsama, we are the caretakers of young children and the elderly, and then those are the same uh, roles that we do in the event of climate change and uh, disaster risk management. Mm-hmm. So to take our roles away from us that was culturally designated, you know, into the Western binary system of man and woman mm-hmm. doesn't actually recognize the resilience of the culture and then how everybody contributes to the, to the sustainability and the recovery of our traditions and our culture. But, um, but it's really problematic when these Western trained indigenous, uh, 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 Lawyers and and policymakers come out to or come to the island and enforce those Western binaries and then forgetting the fact, um, you know exactly who they are actually supposed to serve. How long have these kind of genders e- existed for in Samoa? Well, the thing is, is that Fafafina and Fatsama is not a new phenomenon. We've always been here, but we've always been ignored by the Western heteronormative uh, binary systems that has been um imposed on indigenous communities um where um uh, uh 
where, uh, you know, people are just not ready to unplug from the matrix, you know, to comes into terms with the reality of their culture is that indigenous cultures have third, fourth, or even a fifth gender. We've always been there, but capitalism makes you aspire, you know, to conform into Western heteronormative binary divisions. Because that's the only way you could gain some sort of like uh, power, wealth, and access. So how then do you try and, I guess, advocate for people of different genders in Samoa? How do you do that? Well, um, I'm a um, contemporary artist, so I feel like um, I advocate for this issue, you know, with my exhibition entitled Paradise Camp. Paradise Camp is an exhibition which imagines a fictitious world where uh, people are no longer judged for their sex, sexuality, and their gender, and at the same time being in harmony um, with nature. So you often have to tell a fictional story to, in order to reveal the truth. And that's what my exhibition Paradise Camp does. What sort of challenge do you face on a day-to-day basis? How do people perceive you? Um, how do pre- people perceive me? Well, amongst my family, um, you know, I'm very supported by my family. So I feel, uh, uh, I feel, uh, very, you know, I feel very fortunate that I come from a family that's very accepting of me as a Fafafine. But I understand that not all Fafafines experience the same kind of acceptance, um, where, uh, they continue to face, um, uh, discrimination within the health field. Um, where um, some medical professionals, um, you know, ignore the needs of the Fafafine and the Fatsama community. Um, you know, there is uh, still um, bullying that happens within schools. So where you have Fatsama and the Fafafines drop out of school to avoid uh, the uh, discrimination in the school. So therefore, they actually don't get, you know, equal amount of uh, education. Um, so there is a... Uh, inequality in that area of education. Um, and then so if you don't get good education, you can't get a good job. Um, and then so if you a, um, you know, if you're a feeling Fatsama, uh, you know, uh, experiencing discrimination in the school, then, um, you know, uh, yeah, it, it makes it really hard for you. However, actually what's really interesting in the context of Samoa is that regardless of this discrimination, a lot of Fafafines and Fatama actually sought education as their way out. So for example, uh, they are, um, you know, women and Fafafine graduate with more degrees than men in Samoa. So th- I think that's really interesting. There are progress being made. But unless our, uh, uh, our gender as Fafafine and Fatsama are not legally recognized, then our experience within the climate change space and, um, in, as well as the space of our disaster risk management won't be acknowledged or won't be recognized. We don't want to be a burden. You know, we also want to help and be part of the, you know, be part of the society, be part of the community, like we've always been doing for thousands and thousands of years before white fellas arrived. Artist Yuki Kahara from Samoa. Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. 
Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian Government. It's produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, NBC Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, Capital FM 107 Vanuatu, FBC Fiji, Samoa National Radio 2AP, SIBC Solomon Islands Broadcasting Corporation and TBC Tonga. Part of the aim of this program is to start conversations about disasters. What would you do and how we prepare? We're trying to help you make the next disaster easier for you and your family. My name's Fred Hooper. Please share any information that you've learned today and stay safe. This has been Pacific Prepared.